Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. I started warming up. I tell the catcher to get down. First pitch, bah, dotted. Outside corner. Second pitch, boom, dotted. On the black. Third pitch, bang, dotted. I didn't throw a strike the rest of the pen after the first three. Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today, we are breaking tradition a little bit as we've got an active player on the show. Talking to Trevor Hildenberger, freshly activated by the Giants to finish out the minor league season after a long rehab process. Trevor took a break in between rehab outings to walk me through his career thus far and his hopes for the remainder of his time in baseball. We talk about his time at Cal, where for three years, Trevor was a garbage time reliever, the guy who pitches in blowouts and pretty much nothing else. So much so that when Cal's program was cut before the fall of 2010 in his sophomore year, he was ready to give up baseball entirely. Before his redshirt junior season on a whim, he threw sidearm during a bullpen, and that single action put him on a path to the big leagues. He walks me through his second chance at baseball, life in the minors, the process of learning how to be a big leaguer, and why a minor league union will benefit the game of baseball as a whole. I was really glad Trevor could stop by. If you follow him on Twitter, very cerebral dude. A really enjoyable conversation. Hope everyone checks it out. I'm excited to see what the next few years look like for Trevor. Episodes from Phenom of the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Minor League Baseball season is winding down. BA is announcing organization players of the year and previewing the Arizona Fall League. Great podcast on that just dropped yesterday, so go check that out. Lots of good stuff going on at BA, as always. With that, let's talk to Trevor Hildenberger. All right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom of the Farm, he was a 22nd round pick of the Twins in the 2014 out of Cal, big league right-hander and current member of the Giants organization, Trevor Hildenberger. Trevor, thank you so much for joining from Phenom of the Farm. Happy to be here, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I've been excited for this. Don't often have active players on, and and you, especially coming off a, a long injury rehab, is Getting back in the swing of being active, is it like riding a bike, like getting back in the I'm I'm not rehabbing, I'm actually playing now, I'm on the team, I'm I'm having to keep that schedule. Is it, is it easy to jump back in? Yeah, it's pretty easy. I think I've chomped a bit to get back to games for a long time now. Um, and it's easy to get to remember, you know, what it's like to compete and to compete on a daily basis and to be ready on a daily basis. But one thing that I definitely have forgotten on the days are, because I think in rehab, the days are four to five hours, you kind of crank out your work. You get there, you stretch, roll out, you know, hot tub, do whatever you need to get ready. You do your throwing, you do your running, your lifts, your arm care, you get treatment, and then you go home. And um, you do all that stuff, and then you watch a three-hour baseball game and possibly pitch. So the days are just a quite a little bit longer than I remember. But um, in terms of pitching and, and competing between the lines, yeah, just like riding a bike. I've got to ask, you've pitched, before we, we take it all the way back to your, your amateur ball days, you, you've pitched in the big leagues and some really intense games. How do the nerves compare getting getting back on the mound for the first time in, in months and months and months in a, in a low A game? I get the same butterflies. I do. I think um, I've always been taught that if you're not nervous, you're not ready. You don't care. And so I always get those excited, anxious butterfly feelings. 
Um, and that's kind of what I love about the game. Like I can't simulate that really in any other environment. I think it's cranked up to a whole new level in a big league stadium with um, more on the line. You know, I have pitched in, I've been fortunate enough to pitch in some big spots and that's just so much fun. It's so much fun. And um, I hope to get back there, back there soon. But anytime you compete and you have, you know, eight guys behind you who are trying to make plays and they're all playing for, you know, to help you get out. So um, it's the same spirit and I do get the same nerves. Well, I'm glad you're back out there. Let's take it all the way back to your amateur ball days. Uh, When did you first realize that you had a future at the next level of baseball, like college baseball? Um, probably my June end of my sophomore year, maybe junior year of high school. I think my freshman year, I played a lot, but I wasn't particularly good. I, I played outfield. I pitched and I was, I mean, I was a contributing member of the team, but it wasn't, it wasn't special. And then my sophomore year, I, I don't know what happened, but I grew quite a bit. And I didn't like grow into my body. I was a string bean. I was very thin, but I was throwing harder and I could do a couple things that other guys can do. I could spin a breaker for a strike whenever I needed to. And I was throwing pretty hard. So as a sophomore in high school, I made varsity. We were in a, a decent league and I pitched a lot. I had success. And then I started getting letters. I think at the end of my sophomore year, I started getting letters from colleges and I saw it wow, I could keep playing maybe. You know, this could be a a thing for another few years. So by the time you're in high school, perfect game is kind of at, I don't want to say it's apex, but like it, it's rolling. It's it's a thing now. Yeah. Um, you, and I, you and I are actually the same graduating class. So- 09, baby. Uh, 09, class of 09. Uh, it is, man, that is, that is way long, longer ago than, <laughs> than I like to remember. Uh, perfect game by, by all their math, had you ranked, uh, 1,852nd nationally, something, um, you know, I'm sure they put a lot of thought and thought and math behind, but the obsession with like 1,181st, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's big time. I mean, (laughs) not, not ranked in the state of California, but ranked nationally somehow. But so with that, like you, you still, you've got the D one commit that thing. Did you. Did you feel like a future big leaguer? Did you have those kind of aspirations for yourself even in high school? Oh, I definitely had my aspirations there. I didn't, I never wavered in, in the belief in myself. I think uh, I ended up going to area codes and I pitched there. And that's what I think got me the, the Cal scholarship offer. I had some smaller schools offer me to play and some just in my backyard here in San Jose. And I really didn't want to stay at home and I didn't want to be that close to home. I kind of wanted to get out of here. So I was a, um, that it felt like a different world, but it was still close enough to see my parents and my family. And, um, it was also the only PAC 12 school that offered me, uh, or a scholarship. So the, the weight that that carried and especially academically, I felt like that was uh, the coolest, best opportunity for me. I'm, I'm curious because you're a like you're you're a fairly cerebral dude. I follow you on Twitter. You have other interests outside of baseball. You also get interested in the the thinking aspects of baseball. How I guess how do I word this? How like baseball diehard, baseball or nothing were you in in, in high school and growing up? Did you allow yourself to have under other interests, do other things, 
actually think about what you were going to study or were you, I'm a baseball player. I'm going to worry about stuff, you know, when I'm done playing. That's a great question. I want to say that it kind of ebbed and flowed. There were different periods of my life where I was diehard baseball and baseball only. I thought about baseball 23 hours a day and the other hour I was just eating. So it was my life for, for definitely certain windows. Um, and then at other times I would get really into other stuff. I think I have a very um, addictive and passionate personality where I can really pour myself into something if I find it uh, interesting enough. Um, but baseball has always been my true love. I think my, my parents told me that I taught myself to read by looking at the newspaper and trying to find what time the Giants game was going to be on and reading about Marvin Bernard was leading off that night, like trying to read the lineup. So man, remember some guys. Yeah. Now we're just naming some guys, but um, yeah, baseball is something I've always loved. I've always been super passionate about. Um, I think I fell out of love with it when I got to college for a little bit. Um, I had a hard time managing my time and, and setting priorities in terms of school and sleep and social life and then baseball. And so I didn't, take that next step you know everybody in high school is the best guy on their team and then you get to college especially a d1 school like cal where i thought that i was playing up in the first place and then i got there and everyone was as good if not better than me and definitely stronger and bigger and so i thought oh this is this is it you know this is kind of as far as it goes and this is as good as i'm gonna get this after my first my freshman year i pitched two innings um and i tried really hard but i didn't get any better um and i got hit really hard in fall ball and and scrimmages and all that um and then my sophomore year we were stacked had a lot of talent we go to the college world series in 2011 um after our program gets cut in the fall so this was technically our last year and other guys were getting recruited by other schools to go transfer and continue their careers and i wasn't getting any phone calls any letters so I thought, okay, this is it. You know, I'll hang it up. I'll stay at Cal. I'll get my degree. And that that's going to be it for me in baseball. So you were going to, when the Cal, the Cal program gets cut the fall of your sophomore year. So you guys yes. have all this time and you took that time and you decided I'm done with baseball. I'm just going to stay at Cal. Yes. Yeah, September, 2010, we got cut along with rugby and I think field hockey and a couple other sports. Gymnastics. Gymnastics. Yes. And I thought I had I had come to terms with um, with baseball being out of my life and my career being over. I was hanging them up. And that was that. And then you know we go to the College World Series, and thanks to a lot of generous donations and fundraising, we actually raised enough money to save the program. Um, and so I got to keep playing. My junior year, I pitched ten more innings, and then at the end of my junior year is uh, probably the biggest moment in my baseball career is when I switched sidearm. Before that, after that, I mean, you're, you're at a point where you're willing to walk away from baseball. You're not pitching very much. You're on a good team. You're not pitching very much. Your junior year, you get a few more, you know, a few more innings, but you are, um, and I, I'm saying this as someone who was that guy, you're the garbage time guy. Like oh, anytime, oh, when I was in college, anytime a game started getting out of hand one way or the other, I'm like, this is my time to shine, baby. 12 to nothing, daddy's going to the bullpen. Yeah. Uh, at that point, do you think you were content with who you were as a baseball player? Like was, did you still have, when you, you're having this junior year and like, 
I'm sure guys on your team are gunning for the draft. You're playing guys every weekend who are going to play a hundred percent going to play pro ball. Did you, were you just content with who you were? Was there still that drive to be your best or did you think you would hit a ceiling? I, hell no, no, I was not content with who I was uh, and how my career was going to end. I, I had come to terms with it and I thought, I thought I had hit my ceiling. I really did, but I wasn't happy about it. I mean, I was disappointed in the fact that I wasn't good enough to contribute to a good team at a D1 level. You know, we went to the College World Series and I wasn't even on the travel squad. I redshirted that entire year, not because I was hurt, but because I wasn't good enough. I watched, we hosted the Super Regional. I watched our team dogpile on Santa Clara's field because Cal wasn't uh, a nice enough facility to host Super Regionals. But I watched from the stands. You know, I watched all my best friends who poured the same blood, sweat, and tears into the work that I did. And they got to celebrate and go on to Omaha, which is, you know, what you look for in college baseball. Um, so, no, I, I promised myself, I definitely promised myself in the summer of 2011 that I was going to do whatever it takes to contribute. And the next time we had success, I wanted to be a part of it. Um, and so that's that's kind of when, um, that's what came into play when, when I switched sidearm. Um, you want me to tell that story? Yeah. W- walk me through that. Cause if, if I have it correctly, that you, you essentially owe a teammate who swiped your Jersey or who, who yeah. wearing a different Jersey or something like that. You, you owe that person probably a portion of your career <laughs> earnings. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. So I was waiting to throw a midweek bullpen at the end of my junior year. The guy ahead of me, uh, who was finishing up his bullpen was wearing the wrong practice Jersey which we got two a year and we were juniors. So he had lost all six. And, you know, my pitching coach at the time, Mike knew who's now the head coach at Cal said, what are you doing wearing number 37? You know, I picture a big power outfielder corner, um, a lot of, a lot of pop. And I thought, Oh, that's interesting that you have certain preconceptions about Jersey numbers. What do you picture when you see 26, which was my number? And he said, Oh, there was a, a, there was a side armor from UCLA whose name is David Berg, who's a uh, number 26. And there's a side armor from Washington, actually. He's, I think he's also number 26. And he looked at me and he said, you know, have you ever thrown that way? And I said, no. Nah. He's like, all right, step up, try it right now. And I was around the zone. It didn't hurt. It felt kind of natural. And I was probably like 83, 85. And he was like, look, if you can throw strikes like this, and you find an off speed, like you're going to pitch in college. Like you're going to get that natural movement sidearm. You're going to get ground balls. You will pitch more. And I said, okay. And he's like, all right, that's how you throw now. Go off to summer ball, go through some growing pains. It's not a gimmick. It's not a trick. Take it serious. Watch video, get stronger. And like, we can make this work. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely owe, owe some, some of my, I definitely wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Justin Jones. So take me through that process because I wanna I wanna kind of nerd out on the converting cider because you've you have this repertoire and this delivery that you've been pitching with for years since you know since you get into high school. You're this one guy. In a in a second, you're a new guy. You've got to somehow it's not like MLB the show where you change your guys, you know, you change your create a player's motion or whatever, and all his pitches suddenly translate. Yeah. How, you know, going into summer ball, that process, how much stuff did you have to tinker with? How much different stuff did you, you try as far as spinning a break or working on a change up? Um, 
you know, where were you at and command of pitches and what you had from the start of summer ball to, I guess, the beginning of your junior season at Cal? So I, I watched a lot of video of a guy named Joe Smith, who's obviously, Oh yeah. Yeah. Ton of success, a long, long career in the big leagues. Um, and then I watched guys like Dan Quisenberry, um, Darren O'Day, and they're all a little bit different in terms of how how low they get, what their sliders look like. You know, Darren O'Day pitches a lot up in the zone, kind of comes from below, gets a little rise on it, especially with that slider, little tight one um, that's like 82 to 83. Um, and so I was, I was trying to find about how low I would go with my arm slot. I really didn't understand how low I wanted to go. Do I want to be a knuckle scraper, Chad Bradford style? Do I want to tilt my head, tilt my shoulders, my spine? And that was something I had to tinker with for a while because I, once I went past a certain point to the side, I would lose concept of the strike zone. My proprioception about where my body parts were lost once I like tilted past a certain degree. So I had to stay upright and keep my spine upright in order to, to know where my body was going. So that was the first step. Second step was finding an off-speed pitch that I could throw consistently for a strike. And that was my changeup first. I was getting hit so hard in Bend, Oregon, that I almost abandoned a slider completely, which would be insane for a side armor to do. So yeah, I think my, my changeup came first and I was lifting six days a week. I was playing catch with this kid named um, Derek Peterson, who went to Gonzaga, who was a pretty low arm slot guy. And we tinkered with grips together about what kind of sinker grips, uh, you know, two seam with, two seam across, kind of split. I really didn't hear the term one seam until I got a little bit older and not definitely not that summer. Um, so, we, yeah, fingers together, fingers apart. Where's our thumb? Stuff like that. Um, and I put on maybe 10 to 15 pounds. My velo went from 83, 85 to 86, 88. And the slider didn't come from oof, six to 10 months, eight to 12, maybe. Um, because it would always slip out of my hand and kind of cast out, hit a right-hander in the butt, or I'd yank it and it would just yank to the left-handed back over overcompensate 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 i couldn't find that sweet spot for a very long time um so yeah i was mostly fastball changeup uh, my fourth year at cal and then um, that slider came and then i i found a little bit more success how long did it take to have have confidence you step on the rubber i'm this guy i i can do this six months six months when when i started facing my own players in fall ball and they had faced me in previous fall balls for the first three years. And they say, this is different, bro. Like, throw that fastball in the zone. It's not flat. And that feedback allowed me to, to, to gain some confidence and start challenging hitters more. And so, like, I'd fall behind 2-0 and I said, all right, hit it. Here we go. Hit it as far as you can. And some guys would just ground out to short. And I'd be like, okay, like, <laughs> I can work with this. Curious after being – after – you know, two years of being two years plus a retro year of being mop up guy or just a guy. Do you remember the first meaningful action you got? Like you're in a game, it they're turning to me because this matters. Yeah, I pitched. Uh, I pitched in a college tournament in Houston. We played at the Astros Stadium, and I think oh, yeah, the College Classic, the College Classic, 
with Rice and UNC was there. And I think the University of Houston. And um, I faced UNC. was the number one team in the country at the time. And I remember facing Colin Moran and a guy named Sky Bolt, which how could you ever forget a name like Sky Bolt? I think he was on, I think BA was still doing, I mean, I, they still, they do this every year. I think they were doing the, uh, the college, the best names in college baseball, uh, list. And I think Sky Bolt was, was a top fiver. For sure. Um, so I, I felt, and I was kind of, a a big baseball, still baseball, but college baseball fan. So I knew who we were playing and I got Sky Bolt out, but Colin Moran singled like first pitch. So comfortable, like saw it all the way swingled. But I went three innings, put up zeros. Like I got three zeros against um, the best team in the country, supposedly the best team in the country. And that was the first meaningful action. We were losing, but meaningful action in terms of pitching in a, in a relatively close game against a good team. And I had success. And that uh, is what I remember. So a year before that, you had been mop-up guy, and then now you're getting Sky Bolt out, who I, I don't think he went in the first round, but was going to was gonna be a guy mm-hmm. and going to gonna be a professional baseball player. When did you, in your mind, think, I could ride this beyond Cal? Uh, I think when I struck Michael Conforto out, that was – I we towards the end of the year, we were eliminated from regionals, and I started – literally starting games um on saturdays and i had good outing against washington i think i went seven got a win and then we faced oregon state on pac-12 network the next week and i loaded the bases with no outs in the first and then i got out of it with like a comebacker to me and then i punched conforto out and then i got another ground ball or whatever and i thought I just got out of a big jam in Corvallis against a first rounder who was for sure going to be a big leaguer. I think in college, that was one of the first guys that I I looked at. I was like, that guy's going to play big league baseball. No doubt in my mind. And because I remember he like robbed a home run, threw a guy out of the plate and hit a home run like within two innings. And it was just super impressive. So, so striking him out was like, I can get good hitters out. Like I can get good hitters out consistently. If I just execute my pitches, I can get guys out. And so that, that was the first, the first time that I remember being confident that I could play pro bowl. What, before you had switched a sidearm, what was the, what was the game plan post-college? Cause I assume you had thought about that. Film critic. Want to be a film critic, which thank goodness I didn't take that route. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna have to gonna have to get you a big screen sports though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we are. But um, so with that, when does when does becoming a film critic? And I mean, we might have to unpack that deep. That is, I don't I, that you're the first first person who's had had an in, that interesting an answer for what the the post baseball <laughs> career is. How how long until that becomes Plan B? It was it after that junior year? No. So my, I pitched that year a lot, but I don't I don't have a lot of six. I mean I'm I'm pitching a lot, but I'm not having putting up good numbers. Not good enough to get drafted. I got a couple letters. I remember the Marlins thought about maybe a non drafted free agent or like a late senior sign, save money type pick. My scholarship was up 
I had finished my requirements and I had walked and like thrown my cap and gown and all that. The next, that summer, I didn't get drafted. And again, came to terms with baseball being out of my life, hung them up. That was it. I was a wrap. I'm like benching every day in the student gym. Just the worst thing ever for my shoulder. And August rolls around. I got, I'm finishing up summer school. I just need units left. All my requirements for my major are done. My coach calls me and says, hey, this incoming freshman unexpectedly signed late. And we actually have scholarship money. Do you want to play a fifth year? And I was with my girlfriend at the time, now wife and her sister. And I looked at them and I was like, what do you think? Should I go to college another year? I didn't really have anything lined up. I wanted to be a film critic, but I didn't have a job or anything lined up. And they're like, yeah, why not? Like, that sounds fun. Play as long as you can. So I went back after dodging, you know, life after baseball again. And I found a, a, a better slider and I found a little bit more velo and I was old enough and confident enough to start to take a leadership role on the team. And then I pitched a lot and I had a lot of success and then I got drafted. And then after I got drafted, it still took me, I thought, okay, this will be fun for a couple of years, but it's not really like a career thing for me. And then it took me about a year and a half to gain the confidence to be like, wait, I could, I could pitch in the big leagues. I think I could get everybody out. I need to go back to that August because you on a whim had to decide, I need to figure out what I'm going to do for grad school. Yeah, well, I don't think I was going back to grad school, that's for sure. But I, I needed to find out what job that I wanted to enter, and I just didn't have a clue. I mean, I wanted to be a film critic, and I had some pieces that I had written for some classes. I took a Kubrick class and a Spielberg class and a um, a Japanese film class, and I had some nice pieces that I was thinking about sharing um, or sending around, but I never did that. And, yeah, I was really... I had two, I literally had two and a half weeks less of summer school. And then I was out of there. So what did you do for class that last year? Oh, in the the summer, (laughs) summer classes I bailed. This class is my fifth year. I had to take a full semester, a full course load in the fall. But in the spring, I could just take, they had this like reduced course load for fifth years. You you could take one semester of under the, the, you know, the full-time student load. So I took all electives. I took another film class. I took uh astronomy which i thought was super cool like everything that i was interested in and i was loving college fourth and fifth year i loved school whereas my first three years i really had a hard time finding out what i wanted to do and uh, applying myself in the classroom Uh, but i started to do that i was enjoying baseball more i was enjoying college more so yeah that fifth year at cal really really was important so you're a senior, you're closing out games. Like you are, you're the guy in the bullpen. You're having a lot of success. You're looking at getting drafted. What did like a lot of guys who succeed in college do? So maybe not right away, but, but pretty early. What the perspective coming from the perspective of the guy who did not get to play a lot his first three years in college. Yeah. How, how much like what did that perspective grant you in your senior year that you might not have had had you maybe had success from the get-go i really think the advantage of i wasn't scared to get cut or to have this be my final outing or to have this to fail i wasn't scared to fail because i had done it so much my first three years i mean i i remember a fall league a fall game 
where it's just you, you know, it was a blue, it was called the blue gold series and you just split your team into two and you pitch against yourself. And we had a, a an eight run lead in the ninth and I gave up nine runs, got one out, including two comebackers off of me that like hit my body, like hit my back and hit my leg. So insult to injury. And, you know, everybody's talking a little bit of shit because it's your teammates. You're having fun out there. And everybody's talking shit at first. And then they stopped talking shit like six runs in because they felt bad. That's even that's even worse. So much worse, bro. <laughs> so much worse. Because they feel bad for you. And they're still getting hits. And it culminated in this three-run three walk-off homer. Um, and I, just, I remember... <laughs> I remember sitting in the shower and we had a handicapped seat in the shower and I sat there for maybe 45 minutes and just let the water run over me. This is before I switched side on. And um, I didn't find this out till later, <laughs> but a younger guy told me that they ended up calling that the Hildenberger seat after I left for like three years. So <laughs> I didn't know about that at the time. You made your mark on the program. That was funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I wasn't afraid to fail. I had no pressure. I, I applied no pressure on myself to hit a certain level of success or to, you know, hit a certain velocity or whatever. I just thought that I was the funky guy having success now. So you get drafted in the 22nd round by the Twins. Pro Bowl, life in the GCL, complete dream job with zero downsides? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's one way to put it. I think it was a pretty eye-opening experience in terms of, I was like, I was 23, so I was five years older than the median average age there. Um, the baseball quality of baseball took a step back, and I wasn't making much money. I think I was, I was making 1100 a month living in the, the team dorms, uh, which are $17 a day taken out of your paycheck, and it was like 185 bucks every two weeks. And I had student loans I had to pay off, which were accruing interest faster than I could pay them down. So those are going up. I can't. Um, I can't afford to fly my girlfriend out. I even if she did, we'd have to buy a hotel room because they can't stay in the dorms. Um, but I'm pitching well, so like that's cool. And that just kind of continued to happen throughout throughout the minor leagues. You finish that first year. You do mainly in the GCL. You get one um, one appearance in the Appy League. Yeah. How? that off season and then you're the ensuing off seasons when you're a minor leaguer, did you have to spend your off season for the things that you mentioned? You're not making much money. You have student loans. Um, how, how did you, were you able to train full time? Yeah. So my, that first off season, uh, I got a job at a sporting goods store called Charlie Rose baseball in Campbell, California, um, where I worked nine to five selling baseball stuff, gloves and bats and, um, you know, cleats to little kids who were, we were playing baseball, which was actually a really fun job. But I had to wake up super early so I could go to Gold's Gym. I still use my Cal ID to get a student discount. I would lift in the mornings. I would go work eight hours. And then I would try to get off fast enough to go find daylight and throw um, with another guy in my area who, who was also still playing pro ball at the time. So they were long days. And I was living at home. And my girlfriend was living at her parents' house. So we saw each other as much as we could, but we weren't living together. It was hard on on our relationship, and I think it was hard on my parents because they're still supporting me. I'm, I'm 
so yeah, I'm, I'm paying for all my own supplements and gym memberships and baseballs and trying to find a mound to throw on and um, following the twins program, you know, to a T in terms of throwing program and like conditioning. Cause I didn't have a routine that I thought worked for myself. I was very much impressionable by everyone around me. If I saw them doing something, I'd be like, Oh, let me try that. Maybe that'll like be the key. So that first off season was really long and really tough. Uh, and then the second off season I was playing in the fall league. So that season was super long. I played up until Thanksgiving and I had a short, turnaround to the next offseason and then at the end of 2016 I ended up getting hurt so I was in rehab again till about Thanksgiving so I didn't have I didn't have time to get a seasonal job um, even though I needed it not to jump too far ahead into like your career but just comparing off seasons from early in your career where you you needed to work you needed to be able to live to after you've made it to the big leagues you have those big league paychecks you're able to you know train focus on your job full-time how how big a night and day difference is that in how you came into spring training every year? Uh, enormous. Yeah. Enormous. I think one of the biggest advantages is the way you take care of your body when you have the resources to do it in terms of sleep and sleep quality. You don't have to get up early if you don't want to. Um, the food, the quality of food that you're putting in your body, you don't have to get fast meals anymore. You don't have to, I was trying to make, put all my nutri nutrients in one smoothie. I remember putting raw eggs and like zucchini in smoothies and it ended up being disgusting, but I was trying to put, you know, everything that my body needed in a smoothie on the go. Um, and plus it was cheaper than going to a, a, a juicery or something like that and getting a, getting something for me. So I think just having the resources to, to take care of your body, cause that's really your moneymaker uh, and to rest and recover and, my first year in the big leagues, I played with a guy named Matt Belisle, and I was lucky enough to be his catch play partner for that season. And he was so kind to me and so generous with his knowledge that, you know, he told me that you're, you're always in a one of three phases. You're either competing, recovering, or preparing. There's no downtime in the big leagues, especially as a reliever. You have to be ready 162 games doesn't matter if you've thrown three in a row, four out of five, seven out of eight. You threw three innings last night, 70 pitches. We do not care. Be ready. Have your cleats on, stretch. And that sort of mentality in terms of no breaks, keep your foot on the gas. Immediately when you're done pitching, you're recovering. You start recovering immediately. There's no time to have, to have drinks or to go out late or to whatever you are immediately recovering and then you wake up the next day and you're preparing to go compete again. So having a, a guy like that and a resource like that, I think helped me a long ways in terms of my, my consistency and taking care of my body. Well, back into your, your first season, 2015, you're going out to low A as a 24 year old. How much as a California guy, how much cold weather baseball had you played in your life? Ooh, very little, very little. Cedar Rapids was quite a wake up call. I can imagine. But being like a bowling ball sinker guy that that plays in pretty well the cold weather because no one wants to take one off the handle. Yeah. In, in the cold brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 
91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Yeah, I definitely had good, I think I had good numbers against righties that, that season, especially early in the year, because I could just kind of throw a 1-0 sinker inside and they'd either take it or just ground out. So with it, it'd been, it'd been a year since you got out of Cal. You turn in a .8 ERA in low A, still pretty good, you know, good numbers in high A, you go to the fall league. We talked like repertoire and building yourself as a pitcher earlier. What gains came in that that first year as a professional? Where I mean, you put up a lower ERA as a professional than you did your senior year at Cal, which was a which was a good year. I think my changeup, especially to right-handers, became my pitch of choice and my weapon. Where in college, I might have done fastball slider to righties and fastball changeup to lefties, and I didn't throw my slider to lefties, and I didn't throw my change up to righties. And I started doing that in 2015. And I started incorporating time, mixing with guys, timing, coming set, having a really high leg kick or coming set, holding for a long time, really high leg kick, fastball, next pitch, coming quick set, slide step, change up. And that my pitching coach that year was Henry Bonilla. And he helped me with that in terms of like, there are ways to get guys out that have nothing to do with your stuff. That have nothing to do with your, metrics or your velo and you can mess with guys with that kind of stuff you know ask for a new ball and throw it in super high and super slow to the to the catcher and try to see if the guy tracks it if the guy tracks that super slow ball next pitch fastball try to blow him up because he just saw a pitch at 47 basically so it was those kind of tricks that allowed a guy like me who doesn't have the best stuff in the world to uh to feel advanced and to, to have some success. When you go to the fall league, you're facing, there are multiple guys in every lineup who are going to be a big leaguer. It's a bunch of Michael Confortos mm-hmm. in the fall league. After that experience, what does that do for your own personal belief of I'm going to be a big leaguer too? Um, it's still, it's still not solidified. I think, I think it's kind of like I'm tricking them and I'm going to keep tricking them, but I don't really believe that I'm going to be a, a career big leaguer at this point. Um, but playing with guys, I play, I mean, the twins guys that sent were Taylor Rogers, um, Adam Brett Walker, who's playing for the Tokyo Giants right now, Stuart Turner, who played a year with the Reds, Mitch Garver, um, Jake Reed, Nick Birdie. So there were a lot of talented guys on that roster. And I felt privileged to, to play with them. And then the other guys on my team were like Clint Frazier, Austin Slater, Sam Travis, um, Jacoby Jones. You know, a few, I mean, a lot of big leaguers on that team, uh, but I didn't feel like I was elite or heads above them. So it wasn't really until 2016 in double a where I was putting up good numbers that I was like, all right, I got this. Well, in 2017, you're throwing well in AAA. You've, if you've had the moment in AA of like, I've got this, is there then another moment where it's, I'm ready. I, I need the call. I'm, I've, I've done what I've, what I, what I can do here. 
Absolutely. About two weeks before I got called up, I was calling my agent like, yo, what do I got to do? Like, what do I have to do to get my opportunity? Because I think the, the, you know, when you're in the minor leagues, you're look, and especially in AAA, you're looking at the big league roster like, I'm better than this guy. This guy has a five. I'm better than this guy, which is just unfair and not the truth. But it's definitely how you think, um, especially when you haven't got a shot yet. And so I was calling my agent like, tell me what I need to work on. Is it my OPS against celebrities or something? I got to hold runners better or what is it? And he's like, just be patient. Keep doing what you're doing. And you'll get your shot. And sure enough, June 22nd, 2017, I got called into the office. And my manager, Mike Quaddy, started busting my chops about pace of play. Like, uh, you're, you're not, you're not delivering the ball quick enough. Like you need to get, you get rousing too much and you're cleaning your cleats and you're tying your cleats. Like, what are you doing? Like deliver the ball. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't even pitch tonight. Like, why are you writing me about this? And he goes, well, you're going to have a chance to work on that in Minnesota. And, and that's a moment you never forget, especially as a player. Uh, my parents were actually in town. Um, so I got to go upstairs. From, we were in Rochester. I just got to go upstairs and tell them face-to-face, which was really, really uh, special. And then they they had a rental car, drove from Rochester to Cleveland that night. I flew in the morning, and they were there that night, and I pitched that first day in the big leagues. Uh, and, like, I pitched the ninth inning of a 5 nothing ball game, I think. I was going to say, your debut, you get to finish a game. A lot of debuts come in complete garbage time. That's one, if you let three guys, if you let three guys on, I'm gone. then you're, you're gone. Like, you couldn't do it. Like, get out. I, I appreciated Molly, Paul Molitor, the manager at the time, getting me as soon as possible so I didn't have to, like, sit on it. And he knew, you know, everybody knows that your family and your friends are all there watching. And so... You don't want to wait too long to get a kid in. So it's five nothing, and I'm sitting in the pen thinking I've done my routine. Sitting in the pen like, is five enough to let a rookie make his debut? It's kind of close, and we're playing Cleveland like they're ahead of us in the standings, or we're we're like a game out or whatever. Like, is this is this the time? And so sure enough, I call down. Eddie Guardado picks up, and he looks at me and he just goes, "You." And I don't think he knew how to pronounce my name, you know, because it's kind of long and kind of a mouthful. Uh, and I kind of choked on the cup of water I was drinking. But I, I I started warming up. I tell the catcher to get down. First pitch, bah, dotted. Outside corner. Second pitch, boom, dotted. On the black. Third pitch, bang, dotted. I didn't throw a strike the rest of the pen after the first three. And I was like, okay, like, these are getting too good. Let's uh, let's spike one here. You know, if you're a reliever, you know that if you're too good in the pen, then you're going to be bad in the game. And if you're really bad in the pen, you're probably going to be nasty and punch the side. Up. And Cleveland, the you know, the bullpens are super high in right center and there's a long stairway down their metal stairs. And I remember the security guard telling me, like, hey, be careful. Like, don't trip and roll your ankle. It's like, OK, man, thanks for putting that in the back of my mind. So I go in. Castro meets me at the mound. They tell you not to look up. And the first thing he does is like, look around, man. Isn't this the coolest place ever? And so I kind of like snap my neck around the stands, see how high the light towers are. And uh, yeah, face Roberto Perez, Brad Zimmer, Kipnis, and Jose Ramirez. Got through it. No runs. 
scoreless frame. Yeah. Um, okay. So hat tip to another, another podcast you did, uh, that was on today day we're recording everyone go check out tipping pitches best, best in the game. Um, you talked about there's kind of a mentality when you were in the minors and like we've had, I've had guys on this show say this, uh, minors is the grind. It's supposed to be tough that, you know, that, that sort of thing, light life in the minors. Um, if you just read the stats, says you did great in the minors, kind of flew through them in a couple of years, great timing, you know, no great shakes. How accurate is that reality? What, you know, what prior working conditions, I mean, we're, we're making progress as a, as a sport now, um, compared to when you came up, but like, what did prior and some current working conditions do to a guy off the field, even when he excels, excels on the field? Um, well, I know that my situation, my conditions, uh, gave me, ended up giving me long-term anxiety and anxiety attacks. I think at the end of 2016, uh, I had just rehab a flexor injury, um, I was had a good year in double A, but I wasn't, you know, making good enough money to to support myself really. Still living at home. I kinda had felt like a burden on my girlfriend at the time who was when we go out to eat, she's paying. When we go on a vacation, she's paying. And so we we went on this vacation to London that her work had kind of paid for. She had a big conference and uh we were on and then that whole vacation she had paid for most everything. I had like a hundred and fifty bucks to my name. And on the flight back, we had some turbulence and I'm not a, a great flyer to begin with. So I buy um, Wi-Fi to kind of just distract myself. I'll just scroll Twitter and I don't know, play games, do something to, to not think about the plane shaking. And then I opened Twitter and I learned that my teammate had passed away in a car accident in the Dominican, a Venezuelan teammate. His name was Jorman Landa. And that was it. I mean, that that pushed me over the edge. Um, tight chest, hyperventilating, and I just couldn't understand, you know, why I was uh, doing what I was doing. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself and a lot of factors. You know, I was in debt, student debt, and a lot of factors played into the fact that I had anxiety, but, but definitely the working conditions in the minor leagues didn't help and the pay didn't help. I felt like I was treading water at best. Uh, I was a burden a little bit on my family and my, my girlfriend, of course they never said this and that's not true, but it's how I, I viewed it with that. I mean, you, your appearance on tipping pitches kind of talked about the, especially the, the strides that we made. And now it, it looks like there's going to be a recognized minor league union, uh, hopefully working towards better conditions for minor league baseball players. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I kind of want to speak from the reply guy on Twitter point of view, the guys who are always in your tweets, other guys' tweets. Oh, you play a kid's game. Oh, I would do it for free. Oh, yada this, yada that. When you think about if the union or if minor league baseball players, if conditions just approved across the board and they were treated like, say, minor league hockey players. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or reach, you know, reach something of that level where it was considered a career, not a, you know, not what I, th- I think seasonal. called in the save America. Yeah. Seasonal employee. Thank you. Uh, the save America's pastime act. 
Um, what if if we're speaking from I guess the owner's point of view or the whoever's point of view Mm -hmm. that, you know, aside from the fact that it is just the right thing to do to treat a workforce like a workforce and invest in your employees and, and treat people like people and treat labor as it should be treated. What benefit to the sport of baseball do you think would come just as a whole professional baseball? If minor league baseball players were treated as full-time employees, full-time year round employees who didn't, have to worry about paying their bills in the off season. I think, uh, I think it's twofold. I think from a player development standpoint, you're going to get the best out of your players if they are sleeping well, if they are eating right, if they are lower cortisol levels, if they, you know, are recovering better. I think if they're living in poor housing conditions with no AC when it's a hundred in Tennessee, they're sleeping really poorly, and they're not going to, you know we talk about sleep as a, as a performance in a high performance environment. And we talk about how much water you drink and how much food you eat and what food you put in your body. And when guys can only afford to go to Wendy's or guys are trying to make their meals stretch and are eating PB and J's three times a day at the field, that's not the best thing for that player development. So criminally underpaying guys in that aspect hurts the game, hurts the, the, the product of baseball. And I've also seen players who I thought had the talent and the work ethic to be a big leaguer quit because it's untenable. They were having trouble paying for diapers and paying for baby formula and supporting their family. And um, they chose to go to another industry. Like I could be a UPS driver or I could do something else. I could write, I could, join my dad's company, I could do anything else that makes more money um, faster. I don't have to to outplay everybody in my class. And I could also have a career injury, injury at any point, but I think we're losing out on talent. And like I said, um, player development. If we just paid everybody better, um, people could stay in the game longer. They could treat their bodies right. And ultimately, I think that would lead to, to better baseball players. I couldn't agree more because there's that there's the adage of and when people who talk negatively about the minor league say you know it's these 22 guys are playing so these other three guys can play yeah and it sounds like there's a lot more with with better conditions there'd be a lot more than three guys because there are guys who will just never make the big leagues just in the cards i think not everybody who plays minor league baseball is going to play big league baseball we know that just as a numbers game it's not going to work there's only 750 big league jobs and there's 5400 minor leaguers so we know that it's not everybody but it could be anybody and that i think is one of the most beautiful things about baseball is that you ain't got to be six nine to to have success and you can find a tool that you do really well or two tools that you do really well and attack your weaknesses if you identify what you do well and identify what you do poorly you can attack your weaknesses make them into strengths if not that strengths but not weaknesses and you could have no holes and outplay anybody and um, get hot at the right time and then be in the big leagues take advantage of an opportunity and stick so i think from a perspective of why i love baseball as a sport i think that that's that's a big one, but yeah, for the minor leagues, 
not everybody, but anybody. So you get that call back to your playing career. Yeah. You get, you get that call. And when you're up, you're up, you're, you're there the rest of the season on that playoff run. You, you mentioned Matt Belisle kind of showed you the ropes, how to, how to take care of your body, so on and so on. Just in general, how, how big is the learning curve to just learn how to be a big leaguer? Not the game. You've got the game stuff down. You turn it, you know, you turn a pretty good year, but it's a different kind of travel, different kind of, you know, spotlight on you, things like that. Like how long does it take to learn to be a big leaguer off the field? Um, I don't know if I ever got there, <laughs> but I think a couple months you kind of learn, learn the ropes of how to carry yourself, how to handle fans who approach you in the streets or at a restaurant. Not that that happened to me a ton. I don't think I was the most recognizable player as a, a middle reliever on a, um, a small market team, but, uh, you kind of, at first you're kind of just wide eyed, especially, um, playing with guys like Joe Maurer and, um, Jason Castro and Brian Dozier and Eduardo Escobar. I felt that I knew these guys and I had looked up to them and now they're your colleagues and your teammates. And, um, so that takes a little bit of getting used to. And then once you get the belief that you belong and that you're good then everything falls into place, especially, you know, is there anyone who got in the box and you were like admittedly starstruck Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera. He's just big. And not, not only is a big name, but he's a big guy. And he got in. I said, this guy won the f- triple crown. I know this guy. I know who this is. Um, so yeah, I think that was the first and only guy. Cause uh, the other, by the time I had faced other MVPs, I had a bit more time and a bit more confidence. When you get up, do you change anything about how you go about your business on the mound? Like does pitching against, I, I can't remember who I heard say this, but like the only, like the big leagues, like there's AAA in the big leagues, but there are guys like Mike Trout is playing like 72A. Like yeah. there's only, you know, when you're playing against guys who have reached just the the top tier in skill did you change how you went about anything or did you just take, I'm going to do the same thing I had success in AAA and I'm going to try to replicate it here? Yeah. Uh, I think the latter, because I think that that was, what was preached to us. Like, listen, you're, you were called up for a reason. Keep doing what you're doing. If we didn't think you were good enough to be here, you wouldn't be here. You get guys out. These are, the, these are human beings. If you execute your pitch and the right spot at the right time, they're going to be out. And they miss pitches. I remember throwing a fastball down the middle to Cabrera and he took it. And I said, Oh, I just got away with a big mistake. And then I think I hung a slider to Justin Upton and he fouled it back. And I said, I just got away with another mistake. These guys aren't perfect. Like I can, I, I got a little margin for error. I don't got to throw the nastiest pitch to the perfect spot every time. And so that, that kind of experience um, and just the attitude of a competitor that I, I can get you out. I don't really care who you are. Like I can get you out. Um, yeah, I didn't change too much on the mound to when I got to the big leagues. 2018, your first full season. Um, it's just stats wise, it's bumpier than your rookie year. 
Yeah. What is the, and I, I guess this applies to just being in the minors in general, just the, the work process of reliever starters. You, you get your, you know, you get your rest time, you get your, your recovery day, you get your bullpen day, whatever. You've got the set routine to work on stuff. 2018, you're pitching in almost half your team's games. Mm-hmm. There's not really, and kind of like you said earlier, there's not really, you've got to be ready every day. You're either, you know, resting, preparing, or, you know, recovering, preparing, or competing. Mm-hmm where do you get work in, especially if like you come off an outing, you know, a tough outing or two in a row and you're like, I've got to, I've, I've got to work out some kinks or something like that. Like how, how do you strategically get that work in and get that game intensity in while also remaining consistently ready to pitch in 73 games in a season? I think, uh, you do it in catch play with your catch partner. You gotta, I mean, you do that every day, no matter what. And you gotta trust your catch partner. And he's going to know you the best in terms of like your stuff looks good or listen, you're a little bit off. I think you need to finish more or a stronger front side or whatever it is. Um, and uh, my catch play partner was Taylor Rogers and he was really good at that. Really good feedback, paid attention. Uh, and then you can throw pregame. You can get off the mound and it doesn't have to be with a baseball. You can kind of get off the mound and just go through your delivery and work on stuff with your pitching coach or your coach. And you could do it without a baseball to no, put no stress. But it is a tough time to um, – if you need to work on actually throwing the field a pitch, it is tough to find a place to work on it. Sometimes you work on it in games. Sometimes you work on it on the fly. I got to try a new a new thumb placement on my slider. And then, you know what? The first time I'm going to throw it, it's going to be to Jose Altuve. That's just the way it has to be right now. And I got to find a way to get him out, whether or not I have my best stuff. Um, and I think that first half of the calendar year, uh, I was having a lot of success. and. And then I had this outing in Chicago. I think I gave up like five getting it out. And I don't want to say it's all downhill from there, but it was a gradual slide from that point. Um, and I started, I had the opportunity to close for a little bit, and that was really fun and really cool and, and pitching um, some big moments. And mentally, you know, I gave up a walk-off homer to Lindor, and then I had to come back a night or two later and get a save, I believe in Cleveland and get Lindor out. And that is the kind of stuff that you need to do. You need to have a short memory and flush it and come back and get the same guy out who got you last time. That's what, that's what the big leagues is about is getting a guy out. Not once, not twice, but 20 out of 25 times in a season or whatever it is. Like you got to find a way to get the same guy out over and over and over again. Um, especially in your division, especially if you're going to be there for year after year after year. And once the league figures you out, you have to make adjustments back and then becomes a, a battle of adjustments about setting up what you used to do and changing those expectations and, and mixing it up. So, so that's the mental side of the game that I really enjoy. Um, yeah, I didn't have a, uh, I wasn't able to do it all, but I was trying. Well, 2019, you at, at the end of the season, you get non-tendered. Obviously, probably not what you had, not what you would hope. What what positives come out of what come come out of getting non-tendered? Especially, I mean, as I think as a professional athlete, you have to look at th- whatever the next thing is is something you can compete or a chance, basically. Like, what were you able to pull out of that that wasn't the end of the world? Yeah, fresh start, fresh start. Um, I could go into a new organization and mentally flushed my last few years of of um bumpiness and kind of 
attack a new challenge, attack my weaknesses, know, identify what I was bad at and try to get better. And I think, you know, I found out I was non-tendered and I found out my wife and I were pregnant like three days apart. So we went from dual income, no kids to one income kid on the way. And we're like, all right, like we got to go. Like I got to, I got to get going and, and find a way to do this again. So it's definitely a challenge, but um, it's kind of fun at the same time. You've had now since that non-tenery, it's been, I mean, it's been weird for everyone. Yeah. It's been very weird, been very weird for you. You know, the COVID season hits, you do time in the Mets, you know, Mets alternate site. Um, some time with the Mets, you get hurt, you rehab. It's been essentially a two-year process without you pitching a ton of meaningful baseball. Yeah. You mentioned when you got non-tendered, a chance to figure out what what you need to improve on, what you don't do well need need to improve on. And that two years, I'd imagine, has given you a lot of time to think, a lot of time to put the work in. Yeah. Where, what is, you know, who is Trevor Hildenberger, the pitcher, now active on, on the San Jose Giants? Like, who is that guy versus the guy who got non-tendered in Minnesota? Okay. Um, genuinely, from a baseball perspective, my slider is significantly better. I learned a new grip from Sergio Romo. I have my fingers spread apart a little bit more and I'm pulling on both seams of the, of the, um, of a two seam grip. And I, it gets like the numbers don't lie. It has better movement. It's higher spin rate and it's about the same velocity. So my slider is better than it was at the end of 2019. No doubt. I understand what I do well and why I can get the ball to sink and what I need to do to get it to sink in terms of the spin axis being below three o'clock in terms of where my thumb needs to be and my, my front side needs to be strong. So all this stuff, especially in the rehab process, when you're like learning to throw again after not throwing for six months, you really uh, are hypercritical about every, every body body movement. Um, change up and sinker are still there. I think, you know, I'm never going to be a guy that lights up the radar gun, but um, I'm 31. My body feels good. Uh, next year, I'll be entering my 32 season. I think that I have a a good head on my shoulders, competitive, and uh, I'm going to come prepared every day to get hitters out. So, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm in a better place than I was at, at the end of 2019 and hopefully finish this year strong and um, be ready to attack next year with everything I got. Most guys on the show, I ask for like a retrospective, kind of asking you for the opposite. You're like you said, you're 31. What do you want out of the rest of your career? I sort of have made it my goal to play as long as I can until my daughter can kind of have memories of me playing, which is still a couple more years. She's two now. Um, so that's a long way to go. Um, but what do I want out of the rest of my career? I want to enjoy the time with my teammates. I think coming up, you, uh, me, especially I'll speak for myself, hyper competitive. I had to outpitch everybody as a senior sign in a 22nd round. They took, I don't know, eight college relievers ahead of me that all threw 95 plus. So I not only had to outperform the, the organization's expectations of me, but I had to outpitch everybody else almost twice as much because I think that when a guy like me has success in the minor leagues, it's like, all right, maybe it's a fluke for a month, whatever. Okay. Like is he's doing it after six weeks, but can he keep doing it? And I had to do it 
over and over and over again. And um, maybe I didn't, I didn't enjoy the time with my teammates and, and stuff like that. So hopefully this time around, um, I can, yeah, really enjoy and kind of, I mean, help players for sure. Part of this unionization push, I think that I've helped guys understand, open their eyes in terms of how much value they bring, how much value their labor brings, um, what's important, you know, solidarity. And, um, and yeah, I hope, hope I can help guys reach the big leagues and stick. So kind of whatever I've learned, I'm trying to pass it on. This might be, this might step on the, the question I just asked, but the, the last thing I usually ask everyone is you give yourself a pep talk right before you signed like day, day, day of signing, go back and talk to that guy. What, what would that pep talk look like that fifth year senior at Cal? Oh, <laughs> my self-talk is so many swear words. I don't know if I should say it on this podcast. I'll try to, I'll try to clean it up. Listen, it's time to grow up. You have to pour everything that you have into this. You can't half-ass it. You can't do two things at once. You really have to focus, figure out your priorities, find out what you want, and commit. And obviously, do all the right things when people are looking, but do all the right things when people aren't looking. When there's no one out there, do everything that you need to do, plus one, plus two. Because you got to do, you got to outpitch everybody twice as hard. You have to get people out. Like I said, not just once or twice, but seven times, 10 times. And never let your foot up off the gas. Never, ever let your foot up off the gas. Keep getting better. Always keep getting better. Never be content. Never think like, well, my stuff is as good as it's going to be, or my mindset is as good as it's going to be. Like, keep getting better part of we never stop growing and that's part of the fun um so yeah just keep that process churning and and enjoy the time with your teammates and your friends i got a quick rapid fire for you then i'll let you get out of here you got favorite minor league ballpark great question you know i really liked uh booster brand brand new yeah brand new only played there only pitched there once only played there a few games but um good fans good bullpen the clubhouse polar park if i remember correctly uh favorite big league ballpark to pitch in or give me both pitch in and then kind of like just the the aura place you like being the best all right well to pitch in it's kansas city because it's massive and they got really good barbecue on getaway days and great bullpens um aura fenway dodger stadium and then the wild card game in 2017 Yankee Stadium was uh, unforgettable. Best hitter you ever faced thus far? Mookie Betts. Okay, I have uh, I've held in my Twins fanhood for an hour and six minutes. I need your best Joe Maurer story. <laughs> um, you know he's a big rap fan. Shut up. Yeah, huge rap guy. You're fucking with me. I'm dead serious. He loves rap, and he knew that I was into rap. And I forget who it was, but someone had just released a new album. And I was walking through the clubhouse and he's like putting his socks on or whatever. And he's like, hey, Hildy, did you listen to, um, God, I should remember the artist's album. He's like, hey, did you listen to, you know, Blank's album? I said, no, but I will tonight and I'll get back to you, sir. Tomorrow, Mr. Maurer. Like, 
I went and listened to the whole album that night because I wanted to talk to him about it. But um, yeah, he's a big rap guy. Obviously, you know, he was going to go to Florida State to play football. And we saw him spin a football and it's just like perfect every time. Um, and guys used to pick off not because they thought they had a chance or because they need to no no strategic uh incentive other than to watch Joe Maurer throw the ball back to them with a perfect four seam spin right at their chest. Of course. Of course. Uh other twins question. What is the most athletic thing you've ever seen Byron Buxton do? Hmm. He had an inside the park home run against the the Diamondbacks where you know he hit it. I watched the ball. It hit off the top of the fence. I kind of peeked at him as he was rounding first. It hit off the top of the fence. And I was like, oh, he's got a chance. I looked up and he was rounding third. I thought, there's a runner on first. But there wasn't. He just did it all himself. It was like three strides between second and third. Um, And then he made a catch for me in Toronto that I'll never forget. And one in Cleveland that I also thought he had absolutely no chance at getting. Just as... You know, you, you watch so much baseball, you see the ball and you see the player out of the peripherals and you kind of know like it's in the gap and it wasn't. And so just some of the plays he made were were special. He is a, a literal gazelle. Uh, what is the local San Jose food spot that is a must? Ooh. I mean, it's San Jose staples like La Vic's, La Victoria's uh, Mexican food with the orange sauce is really, really good. And I would I would say, yeah pick up some lavics next time you're in San Jose need to have a movie question as far as uh you, you do a Saturday night double feature yeah two two favorite what what's your what's your go-to double feature Ooh. let's do we're gonna stick with thrillers we'll do Korean thrillers and we'll do memories of murder and I mean old boy is always I'm always gonna watch old boy old boys old boy is intense Uh, last one everyone gets this one do you have a nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues of course yeah ac breaks bus breaks down we're cooking open the open the emergency vent uh yeah toilets broken you know no one can use the toilet just uh (laughs) i've i've memory hold that for sure Everyone has one. Trevor Hildenberger, that's all I've got got for you. Thanks so much for joining from being out of the farm. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. And that's it for today's episode with Trevor Hildenberger. Big thanks to Trevor for stopping by, walking us through his career thus far. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you're subscribed. Rate and review if you're on Apple Podcast. New episodes drop every two weeks, so we'll catch you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>